Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the seventh ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing great, Cameron, and I'm doing great because Mizzou is 2-0. It's definitely something to be happy about. We've got a pretty good show. We're adding a new segment this week. We're going to get some news items. We're going to recap uh, week two, preview a big game against Purdue, and then uh, we'll pick some games at the end. We'll see how that goes. Um, but first, we'll jump into the news. Some basketball news off the top. Um, some bad news, but something we kind of thought was definitely possible. Cullen Van Leer is t- going to medically retire uh, from basketball at Missouri. He will get to keep his scholarship, but uh, won't be playing for the Tigers anymore. Yeah, kind of sad to see CVL move on uh, with with that injury. Um, yeah, we, like you said, we've, we've known that was pro- probably going to happen for a while, but they finally officially announced it. Um, so, yeah, he really kind of came on defensively last year, shut down Kevin Knox, mm-hmm. and that, that was kind of his... Uh, claim to fame, I think, was right. kind of was was that defensive performance. So I know, I, there's another claim to fame that's not as good, but he averaged um, 14 minutes a game for an entire season and did not make a single free throw his wow. sophomore year. So that's uh, that's something. Do you remember uh, that when we were at the Iowa State game and we were like we'd been like debating about the starting lineup for yeah. like what felt like years. And it's like they announced the starting lineup. And it's like Colin Van Leer. We're like, what the? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he didn't stay in the starting lineup for long. I don't think last year. Started thirteen games overall. Yeah, but, uh, came back into the lineup later. Yeah. Would have been nice to have against uh, Florida State, and it sucks for him that the one time his team's good and <laughs> makes the NCAA tournament, he can't mm-hmm. play because he's hurt. Yep. And and that's just. I remember watching when he got hurt and just thinking. That is not good at all, the way he landed mm-hmm. and his knee buckled. So you could tell right away that I was probably going to require surgery and just the way he reacted and the team yep. reacted. Yep. And uh, even if he was going to come back and play, I, realistically, I was thinking that he would like take a medical red shirt and then try to come back next year. Yeah, I don't, I'm not really sure why he didn't do that, but I guess it's just that bad of an yeah. injury. That's crazy. Yeah, that stinks. And I think... I'll always look back at his time at Missouri fondly, even though it was some of the worst times ever. But Mm -hmm. him as a player, I liked him right from the beginning. I know he was dogged a lot during the Kim Anderson days because he was playing, I don't know, like 25 minutes per game. And Mm -hmm. everybody was wanting K.J. Walton in the game in his stead. But uh, And he never really lived up to the pure shooter moniker that a lot of fans and basically the coaching staff when they brought him in kind of made him out to be yeah yeah we always heard he was a great practice player but mm-hmm. never really saw that consistently in games yeah he did a, he worked himself into a lot of playing time though because everybody always said he was always where he needed to be knew everybody's assignments mm-hmm. knew basketball iq yes. i believe is the term right. for that <laughs> but uh so Good luck to him in the future. Um, it doesn't really change a whole lot for Missouri as far as the roster makeup because mm-hmm. Not it, now. his scholarship was coming off the books anyway, so mm-hmm. um, won't really change a whole lot. Hopefully, I'd like to still see him get to like walk on senior night and stuff. Yeah, day. he probably will. Yeah. So that's that's always nice. Um, some recruiting news. Some recruiting news. Huge recruiting news. A lot of it. Um, most recently. It was just announced that EJ Liddell has canceled his last two visits that he was supposed to have. He was supposed to have a visit to Kansas State and Wisconsin, and he moved up his Illinois visit to September 21st to that weekend. So he's going to announce something very soon after that visit, I would say. It's down to just Illinois, Missouri, and Ohio State. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to interpret what this might mean. Uh The fact that this happened right after his visit to Mizzou hopefully bodes well for us. Um, It kind of seems like he maybe knows where he wants to go, um, and the Illinois visit might just kind of be a a nice little gesture. Um, I could be completely wrong, um, but... uh, But I know he like I think it's Mizzou or Ohio Ohio State here, so I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean... 
I just don't want to give Illinois the credit as like being in this race, mm-hmm. even though they're there. So, well, I mean, with the Mizzou players on the roster that came from Illinois, yeah. I can't imagine they have too many wonderful things to say about their experience right. there. So that's got to help at yeah. least. Uh, and um, yeah. he's apparently friends with Mark Smith and has become, if you look at Instagram, like best friends with Xavier Pinson. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. he, <laughs> Pinson and Mario McKinney and EJ Liddell were all over each other's Instagrams. Mm-hmm. Um, and you brought up a hoodie fam. Yeah. <laughs> you brought up a good point to me uh, recently that uh, Mizzou is the only school out of those three that have offered both him and uh, uh, Mario McKinney. So right. it w- if we're going to keep the legendary package deal. Right. Uh, alive that Mizzou is the only destination. So yeah, Kansas State did also have that, but now with them being out of the picture for Liddell, that definitely mm-hmm. bodes well. Um, they were both on campus as well, and they they looked really good in the new black and gold. Oh yeah, home whites. So yeah, and so and then obviously the next item on the list of news is the Trey Jackson to Minnesota news. So this makes EJ Liddell even more important than it could have possibly already been. I mean, yeah. he was already Mike. 1A, 1B, 1C combined mm-hmm. uh, priority, but now he is, we like we have to have him. Yeah. Have to have Liddell. Yeah, you don't, I don't know, you don't usually see a guy stand out that much as like, and, and Michael Porter Jr. was that kind of guy yeah. at a, sort of a different level, mm-hmm. but, um, and then they were without him and still went to the NCAA tournament. So not getting EJ Liddell wouldn't, it's not, cause for Conzo Martin's job to be he's not gonna be on the hot seat it's right. nothing crazy don't overreact but it's definitely I mean not even close about as must get as you can get though in recruiting this right. is this is that situation yeah um the the Trey Jackson thing to me is a head scratcher I know I was probably quoted on this uh podcast a few episodes ago like <laughs> basically like making a blood bank guarantee that trey jackson was going to mizzou so i, I apologize I, I for leading you way. on everybody but uh it just seemed like all indications were pointing to mizzou so this minnesota commitment is a little bit out of the blue to me um yeah. but i wish we could have got him on campus borderline but. shocking actually but um so i'm assuming that'll stick so mizzou's got to have a uh, backup plan i'm sure Conzo knows what he's doing uh but right now it's kind of like oh okay yeah i mean it was fitting together so nicely three spots available we need need to replace presumably john tay porter and kevin perrier bring in two combo forwards and a guard it was Mm -hmm. everything was we i guess we should have seen it coming it was too picture perfect to land those three guys to fill yeah the perfect needs yeah we should have known as mizzou fans that was not going to happen but do you think uh mizzou turns up the pressure on harlan beverly and and tavian column now yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I was trying to figure out who could be, who could take that third spot now. Um, and Taven Collum has always intrigued me because everybody talks about him being a six, seven point guard. And I mean, they need, they need guard help this year. We're not going to get into that just yet, but, um, in future seasons, it won't be as bad. So they're, uh, I don't, I think he's kind of more of a wing guard player mm-hmm. as opposed to a wing combo forward player like we have in um ej and trey jackson but i think i think they'll still kind of want to see what happens with mckinney and liddell and i was doing some kind of like roster math and looking a few years ahead at just kind of how things could go and it's going to be kind of interesting when um what happens with Jeremiah Tillman because if if he were to have a breakout season this season and and then next year after his junior year have a shot at getting drafted you're looking at two scholarships available for next season which presumably would go to Caleb Love and Cameron Fletcher best case scenario right and uh, scenario Alexander and um, <laughs> if they lose Tillman to the draft, then you have no bigs. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd have, and then assuming you get EJ Liddell, this is a lot of assum- assumptions on my part, but just trying to figure out you're going to need a big somewhere mm-hmm. unless you're positionless there. basketball, I guess, but <laughs> nobody over six, six, right? Yeah. I mean, I could, how tall was Ricardo Ratliff? I think mm, he was like six, six eight, eight, six, nine. Yeah. I mean, he played a little bit bigger than he was mm-hmm. maybe. EJ Liddell could be that sort of player. Mm-hmm. Just he'd be your five, but yeah. 
hopefully it's gonna be interesting. Yeah, hopefully Tillman plays we need Liddell. four years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much everything boils down to. Yeah. But uh, it'll be really interesting, too, when Drew Smith and Mark Smith are playing next year. I mean, that instantly just adds a huge amount of depth to the guard spot. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, I've always kind of liked, and Conzo likes having multiple ball handlers on the floor at one time. And if you have guys that are, that play bigger than they are, like Mark Smith can play a one through three. I think Torrance Watson can play the two or the three. Um, KJ Santos can play the three or the four. So I think flexibility is still looking good. But yeah, it'll be really exciting the next two weeks to see um, what reports come out of Liddell's visit to Illinois. And then, like I said, we should be seeing commitments from him and McKinney at beginning of october at the very latest mm-hmm. I, I think i think you're right uh last bit of news here is football related it was just announced that the uh mizzou home game against georgia is going to get an 11 a.m kickoff um, the only reason i bring this up is because it got twitter a buzz because yeah. uh people were whispering about college game day coming to columbia i feel like that was always kind of a pipe dream but right um yeah, this uh, is kind 11 of a.m. kickoff kind of crosses that out, and just a lot of fans were upset, and a lot of media members were happy. Yeah, uh, understandably so, of why some of the fans are not real happy about this. I, I think it's a little bit of a, um, I don't know, a surprise because it's, it's our biggest home game of the year, like clearly by far. Um, it's a game that, but nobody's picking Mizzou to win, even Mizzou fans, but a game that would hopefully be competitive i think mm-hmm. you know mizzou's got a good shot to give them a run for their money at the very least so um yeah certainly was hoping for maybe a, a prime time slot here um as as mizzou fans selfishly i'm actually kind of happy about this 11 a.m kickoff because i've got to work saturday night and i was gonna miss the game <laughs> i was i was basically sick to my stomach every time i thought about <laughs> having to miss uh that game so i'm selfishly a little bit happy that about news, that i thought about you and i was like oh kyle's <laughs> gonna get to watch the game yeah yeah that actually so. i mean for me when we traveled to columbia for games mm-hmm. my wife and i we it's there and back same day mm-hmm. so 11 a.m kickoff for doing that is actually pretty ideal we we're fine yeah. with getting up early hurrying up there and then we we'll still get home in a decent time in the evening so yeah we're actually think i think we're gonna try to go to that game oh really yeah that'll be cool so yeah yeah night games are always fun but there's certainly advantages to the earlier games too yeah if you're going to a night game as coming from springfield it's much more ideal to just spend the night mm-hmm. but usually we just go up and back in the same day so we're going to try to make that happen. Did I miss anything? Is that all the news? That's all the news I've got. I think that's all I can think of. Okay. Well, we will move on to a recap of Missouri's Week 2 win over Wyoming. Um, the first thing that jumps out to me is Drew Locke had a fantastic game. He was efficient. He was 33 of 45 passing for nearly 400 yards he ended with 398 yards and four touchdowns and then also had 51 yards rushing and a rushing touchdown which was probably his couple runs there were probably the highlights of the game yeah the the play where um he scored well like on the running play or it wasn't a running play but he ran for the touchdown that was really impressive to me and you could tell like just by his celebration that he was so happy like yeah. like this is something he's never done before right. like shown mobility in the pocket the play breaks down he, he doesn't just he doesn't up. make a bad throw yep. he doesn't take a sack he doesn't throw it out of bounds he just like made something happen yeah and ended up making a guy miss and like breaking a tackle or something i don't know but he uh that was really impress impressive i thought um but yeah he just kind of showed so many impressive parts of his game just like he was so under control and comfortable um and just efficient in like every way possible it helped for the second straight week he had all the time in the world to throw exactly yeah and wyoming's got a great defense um you know they've got a couple guys in their team we talked about this last episode that they've got a couple guys on their on their team we thought could challenge drew lock and and give us some fits but and maybe that a little bit of that early but for the most part you know we uh we tore him apart yeah i think his the the second run it was a shorter run but um well he had three 
noteworthy runs. The mm-hmm. second one was the one where he kind of slipped a tackle at the line of scrimmage and then lowered his shoulder like right at the, the first down marker. And um, something that has kind of always, I wouldn't even say annoyed me about Drew Lock, but something that kind of makes me laugh in a um, in a awkward way kind of is his celebrations. Mm-hmm. And on that one play where he trucked the defender, I seriously, if that was anybody but the quarterback, I think they would have got a unsportsmanlike conduct penalty because he was like standing over him, looking at him, and then like gave a little wave to him or something. Mm -hmm. He was chirping at him big time. And I just thought, you're going to get a freaking penalty here. And I was actually surprised that they didn't throw it. Yeah, he did stand over him for sure. Yeah, but if that had been a... I kind of like it, though. Yeah, I mean, I like that he gets fired up on those type of plays. But I'm just like, oh my gosh, don't go too far (laughs) Don't overdo it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Drew Locke was great. Um, He had some help from Emmanuel Hall, who... uh, I mean, it's got to be a top five wide receiver in the country maybe right now. I mean... He, we kind of heard about it all off season. Can can Hall do something other than run fast down the field? Mm-hmm. And he definitely showed that this week, where he was running some different routes, doing some slants, and um, he he looked amazing. Yeah, at eight of his ten catches in the first half, and he, he had a monster first half. Yeah. It was really fun to watch when he took that quick uh, slant, and then just immediately put his foot in the ground and went outside. It was beautiful. That was awesome. He made that the guy look stupid, mm-hmm. honestly. And yeah, uh, I can't wait to see what Hall does this year. I hope he can stay healthy because we need him. Yeah. Because it, it was almost, I mean, he looked amazing, and I'm, I'm happy to see him get as much usage as he did, but it's also, like, a little bit scary that if we were to use him, you know, we're relying on him, like, a lot Yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, 10 receptions for the game. I think if it's a close game, he, I mean, I, th- I he hardly played in the fourth quarter, so if mm-hmm. it's a close game, he's, you know, he, he, looking at even better stats, but... Another thing that impressed me about Drew is he was just spreading the ball again. He did it in the first game. He did it against Wyoming now. Four touchdowns to four different players. Um, Jonathan Johnson had a pretty decent game. Albert O and Blanton each had a touchdown catch. So mm-hmm. I think when the defense can't just lock in on one guy and Drew can just make them pay, you know, mm-hmm. they, they cover, they have a safety kind of shadow Emmanuel Hall, then just throw it to one of the tight ends. It just seems, mm-hmm. it just makes it look so easy sometimes. Yeah, he does. I, I just, I don't know if I can articulate this well, but he just, it, I love the offense that they're running right now comparatively to last year, where it was just like high speed and throwing the, you know, just throwing bombs all the time and stuff like that. It looks like this year, like Drew Locke's really having to, you know, make good decisions and, and wide receivers are running uh different routes mm-hmm. and i i don't know i just i really love the way the offense looks this year and at first glance it doesn't even look like from one play to the next if you just looked at one play from last year and one play from this year it doesn't look that different mm-hmm. but it's all the little things the tempo slowing down mm-hmm. like a player like emmanuel hall running a slant over the right. middle and stuff like that yeah you could definitely tell from even from week one to week two they opened the playbook a mm-hmm. lot and the wide receivers were we're doing a lot more different and stuff. That's something and that Hall talked about too when when he said um, when we talked about Drew Lock pointing it out too that they were um, using press co- press coverage on him and they were like, well, if if we can just go over the top every time, we're just gonna do it. Mm-hmm. And Wyoming tried to take that away, and then they just showed that they could adapt. Yeah, definitely. Um, the passing game looked amazing. Uh, the run game still. I don't know if even concerning is the right word, but still just wasn't impressive yeah. like we had hoped to see. Right. Uh, offensive line, not getting a lot of push. Um, pass protection is amazing. Pass protection is amazing. But the run blocking, yeah. uh, it just doesn't seem like... Yeah. The first contact is, seems like it's coming pretty early, mm-hmm. and sometimes they'll make a guy miss or break a tackle for uh, turning a three-yard gain into a seven-yard gain, mm-hmm. but... That's usually the most of it. Right. For the most part, it just seems like there's not a lot of room to run. Mm-hmm. So the question is now is, have we, were we kind of led to believe that maybe the O-line was a little better than they are? Was, was Josh Heupel's scheme kind of hiding some mistakes that we see now? And we've, um, we've talked about Drew Locke's ability to get the ball out quickly, throw the ball away when he's in trouble, and now when he tucks it and runs, I mean, that 
all of those things are just going to make the offensive line look better. Right. And if they, if the running backs, <laughs> the running backs don't have those options to make the offensive mm-hmm. line look better. Yeah. And I guess, I, I suppose I, I do remember hearing that some of these run plays that we'd be running this year, uh, take a little bit more time to develop. Um, so I don't know if that's just still kind of a work in progress that they're still kind of learning how to effectively, uh, carry out some of these run plays. I, I don't know. I'm not really sure exactly what it is, but and like we've said, Wyoming has a decent, has a good defense. Now, mm-hmm. UT Martin, they should have been able to run all over them right. and didn't. So the fact that it's happened both weeks is, I don't even know if it's concerning, but it's just something to think about. A lot of you guys have probably already seen um, this article, but David Morrison from Rockham Nation uh, puts together a really cool uh, thing where he kind of looks at Missouri's games, um, their offense and defense both, um, and kind of analyzes the form- formations they ran and which direction the offense ran, you know, left or right or up the middle or whatever. And uh, so I kind of wanted to um, talk about some things that David included in in his article um, from the Wyoming game. Um, in week one, uh, Mizzou really didn't blitz much other than, you know, their defensive line getting pressure. That's pretty normal for FCS. Opponent. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they didn't really apply much pressure. But in this game, uh, they sent extra rushers on 10 of 30 uh, Wyoming pass plays. Um, and on those 10 blitz plays, Missouri sent Therese Hall six times, Sparks three times, Cale Garrett twice, and Perkins and Hilton once each. Um, and on those 10 plays that they sent extra blitzers, uh, Wyoming only gained a total of 11 yards. That's pretty insane. That is amazing. Yeah. So clearly Missouri's rush was disrupting Wyoming's offense completely. I think it was because they didn't know where it was coming from. I mm-hmm. mean... The, those are somewhat exotic blitzes that they were throwing out there with um, Cam Hilton coming out of the safety spot, mm-hmm. Sparks from the cornerback spot. So when the offense doesn't have a good grasp of where the blitz is coming from, and it, also when you're dealing with a, a freshman, in a red shirt, red shirt freshman quarterback, it makes it a little bit easier. He's not as seasoned with that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then um, on offense... Uh on Drew Locke snaps, uh, Crockett played 48% of the time, Roundtree 34%, and Tyler Beatty 19%. Um, so that was a pretty balanced distribution. Um, Missouri's offense ran mostly out of a three-wide tight end attached one-back set. Uh, they ran that 30 times. Um, and then they, they also used a four-wide one-back set 26 times. Um, so the Tigers used those two sets on 62% of their snaps, and they gained a total of 410 yards on those plays, which is over seven yards per play. And when Locke was throwing outside the hashes uh, to the left or the right of the field, he was 31 for 39 for 360 yards and three touchdowns. And on throws of 10 yards or more, Locke was 9 for 11 for 193 yards and four touchdowns. So Locke is really good at throwing left and right outside mm-hmm. the hashes, and he's amazing at the deep ball. He's yeah. so efficient with, with throwing for more than 10 yards. Yeah, I, I like to think we'll keep seeing that, but I wouldn't anticipate seeing quite those Yeah, and know, that efficiency is numbers. just, yeah. it's like they're playing high school kids. It's unbelievable how efficient they've been. It may be hard to look this up on the fly, but do you, or do you just remember seeing uh, the formation where I'm pretty sure they had three players in the backfield maybe just the tight end was like backed up a little bit mm-hmm. they ran it and to they the, ran it straight up the middle yeah with i think roundtree mm-hmm. and crockett and okuibanam i think w- were the lead blockers on the left side of yeah. the line and they just like blew up this hole yeah and it, it went was for one like of the best runs of the whole something. night yeah. yeah i remember as soon as i saw that formation come out i was like they're they should just they're just going to run it here and it's going to work because they're going to have two ginormous lead blockers coming through the line Mm -hmm. yeah it was pretty obvious they were about to run the ball but uh i guess they could maybe run some play action out of that formation down the road but Mm -hmm. uh that that run play worked great yeah that's if just go out and check out that article on rockamnation.com on your own because there's a lot of stuff to look at we just kind of barely scratched the surface on everything that article points out the uh, special teams aspect of week two, I guess we can talk about the defense a little bit more. I mean, they they pretty much dominated every aspect. I they mean, did. Wyoming's offense did 
pretty much nothing all game. Mm-hmm. And we predicted that. I mean, last week coming into the game, if, if they didn't have Nico Evans, right. we we had a pretty good idea that Mizzou would would do this to them. And because they have, right, like you said, uh, a freshman quarterback who was not impressive in their other games and mm-hmm. really no one else on offense that scared us at all. Um, yeah, so they're just they're overmatched at every mm-hmm. spot on the so, field. Yeah, it's 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 good to see. It's tough to get super excited about it because that's what they should have done right uh but it's it's still really good to see mizzou's defense just whip somebody because yeah. we, didn't, we games, haven't seen that doing exactly the past couple we, years what we think they should be doing mm-hmm. and it's very uh it's very satisfying to finally see mizzou's defense just totally bully this mm-hmm. other teams right yeah i mean holding them I, the uh the quarterback for wyoming he averaged like he had a few good completions at the end, but I think at the, like the end of the third quarter, he was averaging around three yards per per attempt, which is just outrageously low. Mm-hmm. And then the running game as a team, they averaged two point nine yards per carry, which yeah. is outstanding. Yeah, the the defensive line is so strong, and I mean, obviously, uh, they've got more than two defensive tackles who can who can play at a really high level. So the depth is great, and they've just been like stopping the run like so well. Like Walter Palmer, I mean, and Jordan Elliott, getting in the back. Those guys have like really stood out to me so far as as run stoppers, and I mean, putting pressure on the quarterback too. So, uh, yeah, I mean, inferior competition, but right now this defense doesn't really look like it has a weakness so far, and yeah. uh, I'm happy to see that the secondary is far exceeding expectations so far too yeah and well we knew wyoming was not going to do anything through the air true um so it and i don't know if that changes a whole lot with purdue but um it'll it'll be interesting to see i like that this secondary is getting games under their belt where they can get comfortable you know know their roles really well and get some confidence right yeah. Before facing some of the better offenses, especially passing offenses in the in the SEC. Yep. Um, the kicking game was somewhat concerning. I mean, I can't really fault Tucker McCann too much for missing pretty long field goals, and then he made a fifty yarder. So I think mm-hmm. he was two for four on the day. Was it um, fairly windy too? I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, I wasn't really sure what the conditions were on the field. Yeah, it just. Those were definitely were not gimme. So when he when they were lining up, I was just like, you know, hope it goes in. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like I'd like to see him completing more than fifty percent of those forty five and forty five yards or more kicks. But mm-hmm. honestly, can't really expect much mm-hmm. better than fifty percent out of him at this point. So let him get some misses out of the way early. Yeah, when they don't <laughs> matter as much. Yeah, <laughs> I was that first quarter. I was a little bit concerned with the offense. I mm-hmm. think they were really trying to move the ball by running and it just yeah. wasn't really working. They weren't making a whole lot of progress, but they were still getting into Wyoming territory right. every single drive. and just, just not, not being coming able away to finish. with points. Yeah. And when Drew Locke just started picking apart the defense through the air, I think that's when it really turned. And I mean, we talked about what we expected from the game and I think just, I mean, add one, add one of those drives from the first quarter, make it a touchdown and mm-hmm. you're looking at 47 to, I can't remember how many Wyoming scored, but that's right in line with what we were talking about, yeah. being close to 50 points. Yeah, I mean, that's what good teams and good coaches do in some of those games where maybe things start out a little slow. They adjust on the fly. They figure out how can we change what we're doing because it's not working, and they adapt well. That's what Mizzou did. I, I think they uh, just realized that we got to – tweak a couple of things here and there and it made a huge difference and they just kind of wore out Wyoming I'd say over time just kind of out athleted and outsmarted them after after a while yeah definitely there were two things that I thought were considerably worse about this game than the UT Martin game and it may have just been because I was paying closer attention to the game but I thought the officiating and the announcing were both considerably worse in the Wyoming game I will be honest, I was watching the game, but I didn't really have the sound turned up. I had some people at my house and that I was not really happy with uh, that they were there, but <laughs> sometimes you can't get away from family and that's okay. But uh, I, I so to be honest, I didn't really pay attention to the announcing, uh, but the, the, the announcing fishing was just like, was I don't know, maybe it's just every, 
every game against a non-conference opponent that doesn't really know Mizzou very well. They're just, it's just the same talking points over and over again. They brought out the Drew Lock bobblehead again. I said to my wife, oh, wow, the sixth time, I think, already this season <laughs> that I've heard about the Drew Lock bobblehead. Mm-hmm. And part of that's my own fault for just being so uh, in the culture. True. But um, I, the fact that they had it on the sideline again, I was just kind of like rolling my eyes. And yeah. They, they called Drew Lock Derek Lock at one point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's clear when, when you know so much about a team – it's so obvious that you know yeah. the the TV stations are trotting out these random guys with nice sounding voices to yeah. to read up on the teams like they two read, days in yeah, advance. They and, read their media guide, which anybody can go look at, which is kind of fun. I like to look at the media guide mm-hmm. on mutigers.com. You can download it, mm-hmm. and then you'll see why they all talk about the same things because that's what the yeah. media guide gives them, and mm-hmm. they don't do any more research than what's on the media guide. Yeah. So like and, Drew Lock walks out there, and they're like, "The coaches really like this guy." Like, oh, <laughs> great announcing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was one thing that stood out to me. I mean, I know th- it was fine, but it was just like when the SEC Network alternate team of yeah. broadcasters, I thought they did a pretty good job. Yeah. And then this ESPNU crew, I was not impressed with. But uh, the officiating as well, I think I just didn't have as much to worry about on the uh, in the UT Martin game. But it, this Wyoming game, I... <laughs> I kind of feel bad for the head ref, but he'd walk out there and sometimes, uh, this will be an exaggeration, but he would say something like, uh, there's a penalty on Missouri and, uh, and then you have to like go consult with his other refs and you come back. Uh, it's a 15, it's a personal vow and then just kind of walk off. No, I did notice that. That was one thing that I was like, what is going on? Yeah. It's so bizarre. Like at one point, like he literally... Like, like you said, he was like, and the penalty is on Missouri, <laughs> and they're going to take over the... Uh, yeah. Like, he it was like... He's not confident in like what he was saying. It was like he was almost, like, sad. Yeah. Like, I don't or like I he can't was even describe what like, he was about to do. I don't know. So w- incredibly weird. And yeah. I saw people making fun of him on Twitter. I saw, like, some, some bigger Twitter accounts, like, tweeting, like, uh, public speaking <laughs> is hard and stuff like that. I, don't, I didn't it even was, see that. It was really weird, like, but, how poorly he was doing at announcing yeah. basic penalties. Yeah, so... Um, Emily, my wife, she was on the couch or on the left seat on the computer, not really paying attention. And then the ref had that sort of like breakdown of communication. And she like gave a quizzical look at the TV like that doesn't seem right. And mm-hmm. like looked at me like, what was that? And I was like, I have no idea. This guy is struggling. But there yeah. was just some calls too. like, I honestly, I haven't seen a good replay of the um, targeting penalty. Mm-hmm. Um against Brandon Lee. I saw it once. Um, I can't really say either way what I really thought. It's still bizarre to me though that it's, I told producer Cameron this and he couldn't believe it either. A targeting penalty and the running back had the ball and was running the ball. It was like run up the middle. They got stuffed by a linebacker. That should be not defenseless. Right. I would would assume. Yeah. It's kind of weird that, um, I think Dave Matter tweeted recently a quote from Brandon Lee about uh, this upcoming week. It's kind of in his hometown and everything, and a bunch of families coming out to watch him, but he's going to miss the first half. Uh, But his response was interesting to that situation, and he almost admitted that, you know, it's like, well, I get what I deserve or something along those lines. So it's almost like he either he's just a great guy or or he really felt like he was guilty of what was called. Yeah, I mean, I think he was just kind of trying to show his maturity and just, you know, didn't Just want nice it, not gonna make any trouble for anybody by by criticizing the referees or anything like that which mm-hmm. i admire him for but i don't know i i can't imagine if in his most honest moment if he really thought he did anything illegal uh, as far as football goes in that moment yeah well obviously it's a topic for another day but i'm sure a lot of football fans are not happy with the direction in which a lot of those calls have been going yeah and so i'm obviously everybody's all for player safety but uh I will agree that some things we've seen in the last few weeks of football have been pretty ridiculous. I I need a pretty good explanation for a targeting penalty on a running back that, I mean, it's not, I mean, I'd run full steam ahead. Yeah. I feel like you'd have to like Bobby Boucher and like drop kick a guy for the ball carrier to be, you know, the subject of a targeting penalty. Yeah. But, uh, Overall, I was super happy with the team's performance mm-hmm. in week two. I think as soon as we heard that Nico Evans was going to be down, we knew that it's a definitely a game that shouldn't even really be close. And after that first quarter, it absolutely wasn't. 
Yep. And uh, uh, again, I don't I don't want to jump to conclusions or you know overreact after Mizzou plays an inferior an inferior team, but uh, so far they have really come in taking care of business. Uh, they have left nothing you know to for us to be scared about or anything. Mm-hmm. We we both predicted that Mizzou would go nine and three before the season started, uh, and based on some performances of other teams that Mizzou will play later in the season. And how confident and comfortable Mizzou has looked so far, I I would still agree that nine and three looks very attainable at this point. And I'm thinking eight and four might be, I wouldn't say floor, but I think I'd be I'd be disappointed with anything less than eight and four at this point. Mm-hmm. Well, something that will inform that uh, sort of guess on the record a lot will be this week three matchup against Purdue. And honestly, if it wasn't for last year's performance against Purdue, I would say this shouldn't be a problem. It's literally just how awful, how soundly Purdue beat Missouri at home in Columbia last year that gives me any hesitation on this week three game. Yep. We've been, we've had this game circled for, I guess, about an, a year now because pretty much the second we got whipped by Purdue last year, I was like, oh man, we got to go there next year and play mm-hmm. Purdue. Like, I have not felt good about this game for really ever since last year. Um, obviously, the beginning of this season has presented a little bit of a surprising scenario, Alexander, to us uh, <laughs> with Purdue. Um, they're 0-2, but I think they could very easily be 2-0. Yes, uh, two very close games. Two close very games. close losses. Uh, they kind of done some dumb things down the stretch in both of those themselves. games that I don't think that they will do against Mizzou I think they've learned their lesson at this point uh yeah so so week one they lost to Northwestern 31 to 27 super close game and then this past week they lost to Eastern Michigan by one point 20 to 19 so right there in both of those games and um I was kind of checking out some Purdue blogs today to see what they were kind of thinking I read their post-game recap of the um Eastern Michigan game and they they said there was 12 different things that if Purdue just fixes any one of those things, if any one of those things goes Purdue's way, they pretty much can't lose that game. Mm-hmm. So in a one-point game, in a kind of a bad weather environment, you kind of expect lots of different things that could have gone your way but didn't. But um, just a little sort of breakdown of what you can expect from Purdue. Um, they've been playing two quarterbacks so far. Um the quarterback named Sendelar is uh, he's the definitely the most capable thrower, more of an NFL style um, quarterback. He pretty much is the only one of the two that can throw any sort of deep ball. And then the other quarterback, I'm guessing his last name is pronounced Blow. Um, he he's a little bit better runner and um, basically doesn't throw anything more than ten yards past the line of scrimmage. Hmm. So. I think anytime you're playing a team with a quarterback controversy at all or a quarterback competition, that's good for your defense. Yeah. You might have to prepare for two different styles of quarterback, but mm-hmm. neither quarterback is going to feel, you know, super confident running the offense. Right. Usually. And like you've mentioned, both of these guys are pretty different style wise. So you can almost just expect what's going to happen when they're in the game. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine that that makes it way easier to prepare for this team whenever you realize both of these guys kind of have their specific mo of thing of something they're going to do um purdue does run the ball very well uh i think they lead the nation in yards per carry um right now i think it's around eight yards per carry which is kind of ridiculous um so it's kind of weird that they're zero and two and they against two you know not really great teams and they lead the nation and and rushing per carry right, right. now. Um, they're So they're, that must mean their passing is not real great. I mean, I think they threw three or four interceptions uh, against Northwestern. Yeah, Sindelar had three, uh, yeah, three interceptions. And uh, yeah, so if you're looking for sort of the format of an offense that Missouri should be able to stop, there's another one, a uh, team that likes to run the ball a lot and struggles in quarterback play. Mm-hmm. I mean, looking at probably just a more skilled, better player version of Wyoming's offense. Yeah. I mean, better in every aspect, but pretty much the same 
um, archetype, basically. Mm-hmm. On defense, um, I think Drew Locke has the potential to throw for in just an unbelievable amount of yards and touchdowns in this game. They've got a terrible run, uh, pass defense. Uh, do you know anything about the run defense? Um, not really. Uh, the um, the SB Nation blog for uh, Purdue is not high on their defense at yeah. all. Um, they they don't expect to stop a lot of teams. Um, I think what they sort of bank on is creating turnovers because they do get to the quarterback pretty well. Um, so that'll be a nice challenge for the Mizzou offensive line because against Eastern, Eastern Michigan, they did have six sacks. They still gave up a ton of yards. So it was kind of like if they weren't getting to the quarterback, the quarterback was finding whoever he wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of those deep plays were able to develop because they just couldn't get to the quarterback. But then when they did, they just got there in a hurry and got him down. So that's where I think a more uh, Drew Locke just being the experienced quarterback that he is, I would be shocked if they even got close to six sacks against Missouri because he's going to get rid of the ball and mm-hmm. you know find guys underneath, find the tight end. So I mean, and our O line has been doing great in in pass pro. Yeah. So the f- fact that their strength is getting to the quarterback, I think that this team from top to bottom, both sides of the ball their strengths match up with Missouri's strengths and their weaknesses are ones that Missouri should be able to exploit over Mm -hmm. and over and over. I agree. So as far as the intangibles of this game go, uh, the fact that Purdue is 0-2, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a bad thing because when I was reading on on the blogs and stuff from the Purdue fans, they... We had a realistic expectation of coming out of the first four games of the season, two and two. They thought um, that would be their best shot at getting back to a bowl. Um, they played Northwestern, Eastern Michigan, Missouri, and then um, next week they played Boston College, who's a fringe top 25 team right now. So they were thinking, get out of those four games, two and two, and they'll be looking good for a uh, conference season to get to another bowl. But they've started out 0-2, which means they need to beat Missouri and Boston College to be where they where they thought they wanted to be. And coming off last year, I think that they probably penciled in this Mizzou game as a win. And they, the FPI and um, all the different indexes that kind of um, predict games at the beginning of the year all had this as a, as a Purdue win fairly easily about a a touchdown advantage over Missouri. If you look at things now, uh, ESPN's FPI has Missouri a 71% favorite, and they are favored in Vegas by six points. So I've seen that line move from six to seven and a half. So Purdue definitely knows that they need to win this game to be on the track for a bowl game. They're thinking if they win this game, you know, everything's fine. No need to panic. They could easily get to six or seven wins, the, the path is there. Mm-hmm. Um, lose this game, and they're thinking probably maybe starting 0-5 is, mm-hmm. is in the in the picture yeah, and could lead to just a three- or four-win season. So you think they're going to come out uh, in desperation mode a little bit and say I do. go I fight or flight a little bit? Yeah, I wouldn't expect anything less. Okay. Um, the same In that same train of thought, I think Missouri is going to come out saying, this team embarrassed us last year. At, at our house, let's. We need to do the same thing to them this year. They're not. They're going to be locked in. I think that's an amazing trend that we've seen in these first two games: is Missouri being locked in, not overlooking any aspect of the game, and just really putting everything they have into each week so far. Mm-hmm. So I don't see any reason for that to stop. Yeah. In week. Yeah, three. they've seen very, uh, very focused uh, and on mission at the first two weeks. So I definitely like to see that continue and yeah I, I just don't see any way that they treat this game as nothing um after mm-hmm. what happened last year because i think that's what happened last year right and there's just no way I, I don't i see mizzou you know not taking this game seriously yeah and like we just we've harped on it so much that mizzou's run defense is a strength and these teams that 
have been running the ball. Well, Wyoming ran the ball really well in their first two games, and Missouri just shut them down. Now they were without their number one running back, so we'll see. Purdue's got athletes. I mean, they've got a kid who broke the team's um, all-purpose yardage single game all-purpose yardage record mm-hmm. in his very first game with the team rondale moore i believe yep. is his name yeah so he's you got to know where he is at all times exactly and i think the way missouri has been so fast to the ball um especially when the opposition is running the linebackers and the the defensive line is in the backfield the linebackers are making that tackle if it gets to them mm-hmm. every single time very so swarming yes approach yeah and when you look at Purdue's previous games, I mean, Eastern Michigan's, Michigan's quarterback basically did a, a poor man's version of Drew Locke against Wyoming. I mean, he just kind of sat back there and picked him apart and was able to move the ball in really bad conditions, windy, rainy weather. So I think Drew Locke shouldn't have any trouble moving the ball against against Purdue Mm -hmm. well I think you're right about the team that I think it's a bad thing they're 0-2 I think it's a good thing that they're 0-2 as far as the fans go hopefully that environment will be a little less raucous than Mm -hmm. it might have been if they were both coming into this game 2-0 yeah so maybe uh maybe the fans will be a little bit out of it I don't know so I'm I guess you know Mizzou is used to uh, playing an SEC environment so I'm sure that going to West Lafayette isn't the most terrifying thing they've ever endured but still could could play a role yeah and it seems like the coaching staff the missouri coaching staff gets them excited for some aspect of the game i mean i feel like they'll just get them excited to go play a road game you Mm -hmm. know and just show up on the road and it seems like they just have something each week that they can latch on to to be this like sort of driving force in the mental aspect of preparing for the game Mm -hmm. so what do you think Let's play best case scenario Alexander, worst case scenario Alexander for week three against the Purdue Boilermakers. I think it's going to be similar to last week. Um, best case, we follow the game plan. We exploit their weaknesses. We capitalize on our on our strengths. We throw the ball really well. We uh, keep them from throwing the ball really well. Uh, see if we can temper their explosive run game a little bit see if we can improve our run game a little bit uh, Missouri should win this game best case scenario we come in and don't you know we don't dabble around and we just come and take care of business yeah I think jumping out to an early lead would be best case like just scoring quick yep putting them away early and then just kind of coasting I think that's, so too that's easily best case mm-hmm. worst case sure a loss um Mm -hmm. it's i mean it's very possible um i just don't think i see mizzou losing this game uh two weeks ago i think it's a coin flip now i'm just i I don't see mizzou losing this game they've given me too much confidence in Mm -hmm. how they've taken care of business so far and purdue is um not exactly instilled confidence in me if I'm a Purdue fan. So yeah, Locke would have to Drew Locke would have to come back to earth in a big way um, and just have a legitimately bad game. I think um, worst case scenario is him throwing not only his first interception of the year but probably his second. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean Missouri's gonna would have to lose the turnover battle. They'd have to um, get penalized some. Um, they've been really clean this year so far as as the flags go. Um, so that'd be something that would have to go against Missouri, I think. Mm-hmm. So, and it's bound to happen. It's going to happen eventually. Yep. If, if it's if it's not Purdue, it's it might be Vanderbilt or Florida or Tennessee or Kentucky. S- one of these games is not going to go our way because of these exact reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to think it'll be against a team with a much better defense yep. than Purdue. Yeah, and because Purdue doesn't have a great defense, I think the one thing that I'm really going to be watching closely again this week is Mizzou's run game. I just really want to see somebody break one or or mm-hmm. do something other than like a you know 12 yard run. I, I want to see somebody get into the uh, second level of the defense and consistently and make the safety you know run them down or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, I I just want to see uh, those Mizzou running backs get get a little more uh, longer runs yeah if we could just get a drive in this game 
that is what they were trying to do in the beginning against Wyoming. They were basically tried to just run it down Wyoming's throat at the beginning and they just wouldn't let them do it. Mm -hmm. So a drive like that where they just commit to running the ball and they're ripping, you know, four yard gains minimum and then a 12 yard gain here and a 13 yard gain and then a seven yard gain and they just keep going back to back to back. That's what I would want to see out of the running game. So we feel pretty good about it, but I want to do an official uh, pick and actually a prediction for the score from both of us. I already told producer Cameron that I feel like 34 to 24 Missouri victory is what I, is what I envision. And I think seven of those points for Purdue are going to come really late in the game when it doesn't matter. I think that is pretty reasonable. I'm going to say Mizzou 38. Mine's so similar to yours. I was going to say 38-24. <laughs> That's fine. I can do that. Great minds think alike. Okay. 38-24, Mizzou. That's why I said mine first, because I knew it would be similar. You can <laughs> it's, say it's yours hard first to predict next time. scores because just the most unbelievable, weird things you could never make up happen in yeah. games. And just, I don't know. And it's like weird scores, like... 36 to 29 or something. She's like, how do you even get to that yeah, I was number? looking at a, actually at the box score for um, Purdue Eastern Michigan. And the weirdest thing, I think there's something wrong with ESPN's ability to track what kickers do <laughs> because I didn't find this out until I looked at Missouri's box score. They had Tucker McCann two for two. Mm-hmm. They had um, Purdue's kicker two for two in their game, but they showed... They scored six points in the first quarter and six points in the second quarter. And they showed he was perfect on extra points. So something did not add up there. Hmm. And I don't Yeah, know. I was having issues actually with the ESPN app a couple uh, weeks ago too. So who knows? Yeah. So very similar score there from Kyle and I. We feel good about this Purdue game. Should be a Mizzou victory. There's definitely things that could go bad. Mm-hmm. Um, it can't be as bad as last year though. I wrote down here, I forgot to mention, Missouri's offense last year when I was looking at the box score, if you just look at the box, Missouri's offense last year against Purdue was identical, basically identical to what Wyoming did last week against Missouri, which just... That's that's, how it feels. That's incredible. I mean, (laughs) watching that Wyoming game, if you imagine, like, there's no way a Mizzou offense could be this bad, but they were last year. Yeah, that will forever be one of the most puzzling games I've ever watched or, I guess, endured is yeah, a better word. I'm glad I didn't listen. I didn't watch very much of it. I listened to some of it, but I spared myself most of it. You're lucky. Yeah. Um, Kyle, I do want to bring something up. It's kind of awkward, but I don't I don't have Big Ten Network on my TV. So Are you inviting yourself over yeah, to my house? Not only and that. And you're aware of the consequences, <laughs> potentially. I want to break the curse. I think we can do it. You want to you want to face the curse? Yes. So, uh, listeners, if you don't know, every time Kyle and I have watched any part of a Mizzou sporting event on a TV together, they have lost. When we go in person, it's a much better uh, result for Missouri. So, right now, I think we're 0 for 7 or 8, and we're going to try to make it 1 for 8 or 9. So... We are going to Putting the curse walk on the line into the fire this weekend, and we are going to face this curse once again, and hopefully, hopefully, put it to bed forever. So, I mean, we may get some angry tweets from people telling me not to go to your house. <laughs> if they lose, it's, you understand it's you completely, one hundred percent your fault. They're, they're not going to lose. It'll be fun. <laughs> we'll break the curse. That'll be the title for next week's episode. The curse is broken. I can't wait. All right, so moving on, i got a new segment. It is called SEC Pick'em Plus Nebraska. Shout out to producer Cameron. Uh, we are going to pick <laughs> every game for the rest of the season that his Nebraska Cornhuskers play. We'll try to be fair and not make fun of them too much when they lose. Um, we probably will pick some ridiculous upsets just to troll them a little bit. <laughs> And then we'll, we'll pick some, uh, we'll, we'll hear what he thinks about Nebraska. I'll give him maybe 10 seconds or so to preview the Nebraska game. And then uh, we'll make our picks for that. We'll pick some of the bigger SEC games. And um, 
we're not going to pick against the spread or anything. We'll just make it easy. Um, pick win or lose, and we'll keep track as as the season moves on. So if we pick an upset and get it correct, you get two points. A regular wow. a regular win is worth one point. So okay, we'll try to keep that straight. I know it's complicated. Well, I've got a big upset already coming on the horizon. So just oh be ready gosh. for that. Oh, we'll start it out with Troy at Nebraska. Nebraska is eleven and a half point underdog according to ESPN. Troy's winning this game 100%. I've bet my life savings on it. Sorry, <laughs> producer Cameron, but uh, Nebraska and Scott Frost are just are just going to lose and go home and cry and be sad all weekend long because they lost to Troy. So uh, for, for real for a moment, is their starting quarterback back for this game? Do we know? I think he got a little dinged up, but I think... Uh, I guess I really haven't heard, so I can't say. But I haven't heard yet either. But I haven't. Oh, so and who they they had it? He got hurt for part of he. Yeah, he left in the fourth quarter, mm. and they brought the sophomore out. Was he a walk on? Yeah. Whew. Yikes! How did that go? Did they score? Well, they lost like no, well, in the fourth quarter. I'm pretty sure. Like his Honestly, he threw a really nice pass that was dropped that probably would have won them the game if it was caught. So it wasn't his fault. There were also other... You know, Troy has a history of pulling these ridiculous upsets up. It didn't, I mean, didn't they beat Mizzou like early 2000s or something? Yeah, that sounds right. They beat LSU at home, uh, like at LSU like a couple of years ago. Mm. It's coming, producer Cameron. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to pick Nebraska. I'm... I'm... Ooh. <laughs> I can't. I'm just doing it for the points. <laughs> Cameron wants to beat me after he didn't do so hot on the uh, <laughs> seven on seven draft. Just wait, just wait till we draft something for the uh, basketball team. I'll redeem myself. Okay. All right. Next game on the uh, docket here is Vanderbilt at Notre Dame. That's one of the. I did. I skipped all the SEC teams playing. Nobodies. Yeah, playing okay. nobodies. Um, and uh, this is one where. The SEC team is the underdog by 14 points on the road at Notre Dame. I'm just going to go ahead and pick Notre Dame for this one. I am too. Um, Notre Dame was actually not impressive last week against Ball State. They only won by like 10 points. Um, they but kind of an ugly, ugly game against Michigan too. Yeah, they um, they won kind of an ugly game there. I don't, I don't really think much of Vanderbilt. Um, they might surprise me a little bit, but I just I don't. I'd love to see Vanderbilt beat Notre Dame. That'd, That'd be, be great, fantastic. But mm-hmm. I doubt it'll happen. Um, this is I picked this one because it's kind of an interesting line. Um, Arkansas is only favored by seven points at home against North Texas. I this is an interesting one that I would not be surprised if Arkansas lost. I think I am going to pick Arkansas to win, but I will not be surprised. Yeah, they looked pretty terrible last week. And Who did they play last week? I don't even remember. Why are you asking that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I know that they dropped to 14th on a lot of people's SEC power rankings. Yeah. And stuff like that. Who did they lose to? Before we're done with this, I'll have it pulled up. But I'm, I'm actually going to pick... I'm going to pick North Texas. I don't blame you at all. i get those two points for the upset, maybe. And then uh, a conference game that is actually supposed to be a blowout... Um, for the road team, Alabama is favored by 21 points on the road at Ole Miss. They will destroy Ole Miss. I actually felt good about Ole Miss after their first game against Texas Tech. I mm-hmm. talked about it on here. They, the quarterback looked good. The defense looked good. They contained uh, Texas Tech's offense. Mm-hmm. But well, then they did not look very good last week. And Alabama has looked really, really good. Like the machine they normally are. Yes. So, yeah, I'm going to pick Alabama there as well. And then last one is a big, big game for the SEC, um, for the SEC West in particular, LSU on the road going to Auburn, and Auburn is favored by 10.5 points. I'm kind of surprised they're favored by that much. Um, I am going to pick Auburn because they're at home, uh, but I am a little surprised that they're a 10.5-point favorite because LSU has looked really strong this year um, already. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, LSU has looked good. And I actually, when I was kind of going through the SEC before the season started, um, I, I liked LSU in a lot of these games. I think I, I picked Auburn in my head when I was just going through it. But um, 
yeah, I'm gonna have to stick with Auburn, but I could see, I think LSU perhaps gets Alabama at home this year. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I think I, I think LSU could, you know, pull one of these big games off, but it's most likely going to need to be at home mm-hmm. with that crowd. Behind yeah, I think them. you're right. So yeah, I'm going to pick Auburn here as well. And Arkansas looked bad last week against Colorado State. Oh yeah. Remember that. Go and, Troy. Yeah. Indeed. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I'm I'm rooting for Nebraska. Oh my I'm god, not, you were detestable. Rooting for okay, that's what I thought. Well, if they don't get to the Music City Bowl, I'm not going to Nashville with you. Oh please. Uh, I, I can find somebody else. Uh, probably. <laughs> that's not that's not a very good threat. <laughs> All right, so we'll keep track of those picks. Tweet at us if you think one of our uh, picks is absolutely ridiculous. But uh, unless you've got anything else for the, the fine folks, I think that's all I've got for this week. That's it for me. All right, well, that's it for this week. We'll be right back next week. We'll be recapping this Purdue game, this hopefully curse-breaking Mizzou victory, and we'll be previewing the first SEC game of the year against Georgia. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, and SoundCloud. You can tweet us at Mizzou Sports One and email us at MissouriSportsPod at gmail.com. And I'm on Twitter as well. You can find me at C underscore Albert08. And thanks everyone for listening, and we will see you next week. Enjoy. Enjoy.